welcome back to another episode of the Newly Meds podcast. Today we've got a really cool episode, something that I've had marked down for a little bit of time now, but we're bringing on another guest, uh, someone who has a ton of EMS experience, a ton of medical experience, uh, has been in emergency medicine for a majority of his life so far. So I don't want to get too much into his experience, but today we have Matt on the podcast. He's an EMS physician, emergency medical physician, uh, has worked in a number of trauma centers and hospitals, and he is also a paramedic. And like all paramedics, started out as an EMT, uh, has some really great experience. So Matt, welcome to the podcast. Uh, We'll let you introduce yourself, tell us some more about you. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, my name's uh, Matt Myers. Uh, I'm currently an emergency medicine physician over at Hershey Medical Center, and I'm doing my EMS fellowship there uh, this year. That'll wrap up here at the end of June. Um, let's see. Back to where I started. Uh, back when I was 16, I was interested in getting into fire EMS. Uh, joined my local volunteer fire company then, was very heavily active in that. Started undergrad out at Pitt, and I did my EMT class during my first semester at Pitt in the fall. This was way before you had to have your registry for the state, so I uh, ended up taking the registry as well because I was like, I wanted to get something extra and just kind of keep pushing down the road. Uh, I came back and still ran a bit uh, at my volunteer firehouse. We had a QRS there as well, and that kind of really got me more interested in, into things. I found that I didn't really like fire as much and like more of the medical and the rescue stuff, and I think more of the rescue stuff was what really kept me going and less of the running into the burning buildings, but that was the start. I kept doing that after my freshman year undergrad. I went back home. I was working in Sunbury at America's Hose Company. That was my first actual EMS job. It was nice to, you know, make $10 an hour instead of the seven fifteen I was making as a fry cook back then. Uh, <laughs> so that happened. Uh, Pitt has an emergency medicine bachelor's degree program. So what I did in the beginning part of that was uh, the first two years, I did all my gen eds and everything I needed for the pre-med requisites. Uh, you could also get if you were going down the PA route as well to, to do that. Um, junior year was all paramedic stuff uh, in the city of Pittsburgh, so we ran with all the city units there, which was a big contrast to what I was used to in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania. Uh, <laughs> so that was fun. Uh, ran lots of calls, lots, lots of good stuff. It was just really neat to experience a, a different system too. And then I never gave up the paramedic thing, kept doing that. Uh, I did this year off in between uh, med school. I was working at Evangelical Community Hospital up in Lewisburg. I actually started their community paramedic program up there as well. This was when they were fairly new, like more of a novel concept about three, four years into it. Um, that was my senior year pit uh, through the Center for Emergency Medicine. They kind of started one of the first uh, community paramedic programs out in Allegheny County, and I kind of mirrored that a bit and transformed it into how we would do it in more of a rural area, which was kind of neat. I was just doing that really like part-time, half-time there, half-time on the truck because I can't give up the truck. And then we, uh, actually it's expanded now, there's have three full-time people doing it, and it saved the hospital a ton of money at the end of the day. So Matt, one of the things that you just spoke about was having the opportunity to go to a bachelor's degree in Pittsburgh and work in an emergency medicine setting while you were doing the medical services there at Pitt, you got to work with the city of Pittsburgh. And I also went to paramedic school in Pittsburgh, so I'm very familiar with the setup. They run dual medic units out there. 
And so contrary to what you saw, probably in the rural setting with Americus, you were running an EMT medic MICU, probably what you were familiar with when you started out in EMS. How did you adjust to that? And what were some big takeaways that you had when you worked in the city and saw how they run things, saw the difference in calls, the higher acuity patients that you sometimes would get in the city compared to a rural setting, and really just the volume of patients that you get exposed to. Taking away from that experience, how did it sort of mold you into the provider that you are today? And given that experience, how do you put it into a daily practice in your career? So I would say probably biggest change around there, you're right. It was uh, two medics on each truck. I never really had EMS directed rescue stuff as well. So that was kind of neat because they have two rescue trucks in the city that there's there's two medics on. I remember the first vehicle accident I was on there. I was like, wow, this patient's already cut out of the vehicle. It was like six minutes. I'm like, this would have taken like 30 minutes at home for, for everything else to go. Just kind of the, the speed of things, the uh, quality of what goes on with it. It was like a completely different patient population too. Now you're in more of the urban city stuff and I was used to more suburban rural. So you're getting more of that like urban mix into things. Uh, it was just kind of neat as as far as like a, a tiered response system too because there were many times back here at home where it would be me and my EMT and we're 45 minutes plus from a hospital. And if I, I need help or something, it's 20 minutes till I can get another even BLS truck to come uh, assist me at that point. So it was neat to see how they did stuff together as that and I thought things were a little bit more aggressive so I took some of that more aggressive type thinking actions and kind of brought it back and applied it more in the suburban rural setting uh, which seemed to work pretty well. Yeah no I think that's a great point that you make is sort of getting out of the comfort zone with medicine a little bit seeing some different practices Uh, obviously when you're working with another medic, you have a little bit more flexibility and leeway to do maybe a procedure you're not as comfortable with if you're with an EMT or a greener EMT that's never done something. So when you saw that practice and started to bring it back toward the rural end of the spectrum, when we think about aggressive and safe practices, how did that really shape you when you were a medic? And then how does that shape you now as a physician Um, And not only that, as an EMS physician, which obviously, you know, from being in the city of Pittsburgh, um, probably shaped your mind a little bit. They run EMS squads out there as part of their medical program. So how do you implement that on a day-to-day basis as a medic and then now as a physician? I'd say one of the things I always tell everybody was... Uh, if you think you've done something bad or sketchy, I've probably done the same thing. <laughs> so, uh, I, and you know, it, it's having that kind of background experience with it. You were in the trenches doing the things when you're out in the field now doing things with the crews, they respect you and see you do those things. Uh, it's very easy for, I think, an EMS physician who really doesn't have any EMS background to just kind of jump in and try to take over a scene. Uh, versus kind of having that experience and, you know, going through everything firsthand yourself, doing the crike, doing the intubation, doing the cardio version, like you've done those things and now it's time to sit back and and let somebody else do it and be there more as a support piece for it. Uh, One of the things that's kind of like neat that I like the most about being an EMS physician, especially in Pennsylvania, is that we don't have at the ALS level the ability to RSI. So when I show up, I have all the RSI meds. So if my paramedic I show up to help is like, 
hey, I want to intubate this patient, I want to RSI them, do the things, I kind of let them talk through the process that they want to do for it, and if the large majority of the time it sounds reasonable, and then we'll, we'll RSI them, and it, I think it helps with overall satisfaction too within the system for the providers that now you have that extra tool that you were trained to and might not be within our protocol, but once we show up the rules kind of change, I guess, at the end of the day. So then you get to do a little bit more cool things. And I think it just helps with overall uh, well-being of your providers and kind of that satisfaction. And I always remember, too, like, was it an EMT and a paramedic? Like, you can't talk to the ER doctor. Like, they were on this throne. And uh, that's something I just don't like to do now or anything. And it, it's really nice because there's lots of times people just walk over and talk to me about the most random call they had. It sometimes might sound very basic to me, but they're really excited about it. And if you keep them engaged and keep that inquiry of like, education for them, uh, it's neat to see what happens down the road and how much happier they are with things. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. And I think that's the most important thing is open lines of communication with a physician, with a medic, AEMT, EMT, all the way down to EMR, we're all part of the healthcare team, the nurses, the techs, everyone in the hospital, respiratory therapists. We have so many tools at our disposal that instead of putting one above the other, we have to work as a unit. And I think that you made a really great point talking about that, which leads me to my next question, which might be the loaded question that you get in this podcast is when you started out as an EMT and then you became a paramedic and then now at the physician level, and all this knowledge and experience and education that you've acquired, what were some of the things that stuck with you the most? And what are some things that you maybe learned going from one position to the next that you're like, dang, if I would have known that as an EMT or a medic, and even now as a physician, maybe you see something that as a resident and attending did, and you're like, why didn't they teach that in school? Why have I never seen this before? What are some things that stuck out to you? And what's some advice that you have for the new providers I was say, it was, uh, when I, from the EMT to paramedic level, obviously there's a lot more, I would say, changes. You're able to recognize things and perform some, like, temporizing life intervening skills. And then once you get to more of that paramedic level, you really start to build more on the pathophysiology of things and, and why things happen and exist. Uh, and I think that kind of starts more the inquiry of, okay, you have this basic to moderate knowledge base so far of kind of emergency pathology and then what do you do to expand upon it? Um, some things that I think challenged me with that was like, take abdominal pain, for example. Like the majority of stuff we do in the field for abdominal pain, we're not really making a diagnosis or figuring it out. That transition from that to medical school, even in residency is like, okay, now they brought this patient in who they gave Zofran because they were throwing up and has abdominal pain at whatever place and gave pain medicine to, but what's going on? It's that next level thing of what's that next step in the process besides uh, the stuff that we do in the field. So that was a blessing and a curse kind of at the same time because you knew how to intervene on the emergent things and knew how to intubate. I knew how to put IVs in, which kind of put me ahead of my peers kind of what's the next step thing that you really had to expand upon itself. The high acuity patients were real easy. It was the, the level three acuity triages that come in with the dizziness, the abdominal pain, the kind of vague complaints, like what do you do with that and how to expand upon the knowledge of that. So you could look like a rock star if you did all the cool stuff as a, a paramedic, 
um, for like the, the level ones, level twos that come in because you know exactly what to do. And it's, it's pretty much the same thing, except now I'm throwing some lab work on and getting some imaging at this point. That's where a lot of the, the meat and potatoes of kind of the, the medicine comes from. So how I kind of challenged myself through medical school was I would still work on the trucks, not as much during my first and second year, but in the third and fourth year when we were doing rotations, a lot of the weekends I would have off. So I would try to kind of expand a little bit more on what my differentials really would be. And I think that kind of set me up a little bit better for residency also. Yeah, Matt, I think that really should strike a chord with a lot of providers on the differences that it is to go from a hospital setting or go from a pre-hospital setting to the hospital setting. Now that we know that transition that you made and some of the challenges, you're back in a position where EMS is a big part of your job. You're an EMS physician. Uh, you do a lot with the medical command. What are some tips that you would give to the paramedic on the street level? What are some things on a day-to-day -day that they can do to improve their knowledge, their education, and their practice? I'd say try to find something that you really like. There's a lot of free open access things. The thing I would caution people on the most is you'll see a GEMS article pop up and you read it and you're like, this is the coolest, best thing that's coming out. We have to do this. A lot of the stuff I kind of learned about and with that, like research and methodologies was, is this good research or not? Because a lot of times you'll see these articles and to be quite honest, they're crap at the end of the day because there's not the, the great research backing behind it and, and how to really implement these things into your system. Um, and just because it's one rural system doesn't mean it's as applicable to like a more urban system and vice versa with it. So really kind of learning about the research methodologies behind things and what the best studies are and kind of what the gold standard of things are is how you can really interpret those articles a lot better and have a more collegiate academic conversation about it. I mean, sometimes there is really good stuff that comes out and is applicable, but knowing what stuff's good and what stuff's frankly garbage is probably the, the easiest thing to look at. As far as like medical command stuff, I hate it all the time. You call in for some order and they say no and you're like, uh, losing your mind over everything. Um, I think the, the easiest thing you can do to kind of flip that and we'll get more orders for things is when you call in, just say exactly what you're asking for in the beginning. And you know the contraindications for certain medications like Cardizem, for example. People will call in for Cardizem a lot. Things you gotta always think about before you give it, is that heart rate high because they're compensating for something such as an infection or a pulmonary embolism. I'll never forget I had a unit call in during residency the one time that um, they wanted to give Cardizem. It was a lady in new AFib, which was kind of unusual as well, but was tacky in the 160s and had a blood pressure in the low 100 systolic. And they're giving me this report about like chest pain, shortness of breath, palpitations, kind of your typical story. And they're like, yeah, she just had leg surgery like four weeks ago. And it's like, oh, no, no, no. This is, this is definitely a DVT-PE and you don't want to give that because they're going to crump at the end of the day. And, and that ended up being what that patient had when they got to the ER. I actually had them divert down to uh, Harrisburg at that point because they were going to go to one of our community sites. And just kind of picking up on those subtle things was, was kind of cool as well because I got that patient to the right care quicker without even physically being out on the street with it. And she got the definitive care she needed at the end of the day and had a great outcome. Yeah, that's super awesome. And being direct. And again, it comes down to the lines of communication, knowing what you want, knowing when to give it and the contraindications, the how, the why behind everything. And once you nail that down, 
you'll you'll start to learn physicians probably aren't going to say no when you're calling and everything sounds reasonable just like you said with the rsi you're in the truck you get on, on scene and a paramedic's like i think we should intubate this your patient and you're like why when everything starts to add up you're going to come as a paramedic and even at an emt level sometimes when you see a patient presenting a certain way you're going to come to the same to the same type of conclusion that the physician you called did and that's because a really thorough and good assessment and presenting what the patient is doing when you arrive on scene is not going to change when we're talking to a physician on the phone. And that's a really important thing that you mentioned that's key to understanding is that our knowledge might change, our thoroughness of assessments might change, but the way that a patient is presenting that we see it is probably not going to change when we talk to a physician on the phone about it. There's not really much room for interpretation when I call in and I say, hey, this patient has wheezing and bronchoconstriction and now they're becoming fatigued. I'd really like to do, you know, two grams of magnesium for this bronchoconstriction and try and relax some of that smooth muscle. That physician is probably going to come to the same conclusion, granted that we know all of our contraindications and indications for that medication. And Matt, finally, the last thing I want to leave everyone with was you speaking on how to do good research and analyze things as a paramedic or really as a provider at any level. And you mentioned utilizing the resources, but making sure we're utilizing the proper resources, right? And acquire more education and information, but make sure that it's the right information. Make sure you're looking at the right resources online, the right literature. And at the end of the day, that's going to make you a better provider and get you ultimately what you want as a paramedic. When you're calling for those orders, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, I've never, I've never been told no. And it's because you're coming to that rational finding. So I think that that's really awesome. Matt, it's been great having you on this first episode here and talking about your experience and sort of what got you into EMS. Is there anything that you want to leave our listeners with? A lot of them are pre-hospital providers, but we also have some, some nurses, different physicians at different levels. What are some, some final thoughts and notes that you have for us? I'd say it's a it's a long road, but you can do it. I never thought I would have done the EMS fellowship thing. I thought I was going to, you know, eventually be a medical director for a mom and pop shop somewhere with one or two ambulances, but I never thought uh, I would end up kind of taking this path. Uh, there's lots of people along the way in the journey that I have to thank for being where I am today. It's not just me at the end of the day. Use use those people. Sometimes people will see things in you that you don't even see in yourself, and that's what happened a lot along the way here. So make those connections. Um, every person you meet throughout the system is important. It's crazy kind of looking back now over the past 12 years. I have pretty much people on my Facebook social media accounts from almost all over the state with, with things, and um, that creates a, a very vast network as well. So don't be afraid to say hi to that person. I was always kind of shy in the beginning, but go say hi and it, you build all these connections and then you'll see people later on down the road. And there's always someone out there to help you.